Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. A big welcome to everybody who's downloaded this podcast. Carola and I are thrilled to have you back with us again. And we've really got a great topic for you this time. It's summer. It's a great time to go out and have a relaxing drink with your friends. And we are going to look at the whole drinks industry. Is it going places? And why is it all happening in the UK? Especially now, after we voted to leave the European Union. And clearly, we'd all been having a drink at the point where we went to the polls. You're so naughty. <laughs> not that we're advertising that you should go drink lots of alcohol, but um, yeah, it's been a and lot of fun. especially not before it? voting on such a crucial subject. And you found us a great interviewee in um, Ned uh, Hammond, who's an analyst, very young and just a great shot in the arm about how people are getting cool jobs and can be really enthusiastic about them. I did philosophy and economics at UCL. Then I moved straight into investment banking after that. We are looking at the consumer retail and leisure sectors. So I am lucky enough to cover the sort of soft drinks, beverages businesses and the food businesses as well, which does have its perks in terms of uh, the odd <laughs> the odd free drink and the odd slice of pizza. Uh, well, so, so yeah, so good drinking. fun. I would say you're looking very well on it. You don't seem to have put on any unnecessary uh, weight. <laughs> <laughs> I do try to make sure I have it in moderation. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, drinking because it's the summertime. Lots of people are drinking. I'm quite intrigued by the drinks industry. There seems to me to be a resurgence of craft drinks, companies like Sipsmith, like Edinburgh Gin Company. And then I was shocked to find the Fever Tree, which is a company on AIM, isn't it? It's quoted on the junior market, and it has a market capitalization of about £800 million. It certainly has been quite incredible over the last few years, that sort of um, resurgence in the kind of craft, alcohol, and then obviously now mixer um, sector. So Sipsmith, they really kicked it off in 2009 when they opened the first sort of craft distillery um, in London for almost 200 years. And since then, you've seen a dramatic rise in the sort of craft gin industry around the country. So in the UK, there were a hundred odd gin distilleries about six years ago. That sort of over doubled to about 230 at the end of last year. So. Are we all drinking so much gin? Um, well, really, in the UK, gin has been very popular over the last few years. So where you've seen a overall spirit market where volumes are up sort of less than 2% since 2008. Um, in the gin market, it's gone up about 25%. And that's really been driven by this sort of premium gin, craft gin idea, which I think people are really getting behind. Now we're facing um, leaving the European Union, and we're talking about uh, an industry in Britain that's been growing and growing and growing. Do you think Brexit will stop that? Um, well, I think it obviously depends partly on you know how significantly the the economy is hit, and I'm I'm not an economist, so um, I can't say how exactly that will pan out. But clearly, if there is a big recession, there's potential for there to be hit. Um, if it's more like a stagnation, then the premiumization trend in the spirits industry and in the the mixer industry has been enormous over the past few years. And I don't feel like that's suddenly just going to stop if there's a slightly slower GDP growth. Because I'm an old hack, I read your report on Fever Tree before I came, and one of the things that has 
buoyed the company is the exchange rate. What have you seen for the last couple of weeks in terms of the effect on these kind of companies here in the UK? Yeah, well, certainly, um, obviously, you've got kind of two different issues. If you're um, exporting your product, suddenly your products um, looks a bit, a bit cheaper. And also you've got the translational effect of um, your sales in euros or dollars suddenly worth quite a lot more in pounds. But you've also got that off- opposite impact of getting raw materials in many of the raw materials are sold in euros or dollars as well. Companies that are large and listed like Fevertree are able to get hedging ag- arrangements in place. And so that's fine for them. But, you know, a small gin distiller starting up doesn't necessarily have those same benefits. So if your raw material costs suddenly go up quite significantly, then that is something that businesses are going to have to deal with and work out how they can cope with that. So one of the things we haven't talked about is the human side of things and recruitment and retaining your employees. A lot of companies I've talked to uh, really rely heavily on folks from the European Union. What have you been talking about in this regard? Yeah, that's certainly the case for some of those, especially in kind of the leisure industry, who are more exposed to workers coming from the European Union. And they are very dependent on a decent level of immigration. People coming over from the European Union want to work in these industries. And I think that it is potentially an issue. It's something that some of the companies that we cover are, are concerned about. The ability just to get the supply of labor in the first place, wages could increase fairly significantly for these companies, and that's quite a cost to take on. So you look at, say, maybe like the restaurant industry, for example, that clearly would be an issue. The hotel sector as well, it clearly employs quite a lot of um, workers from the EU. When I first joined the FT a long time ago in New York, Britain was so cool. The British brand was great, and the FT definitely benefited from that. It doesn't feel that way post-Brexit. It feels almost slightly embarrassing to be British. And I say that with an American accent, though I am British. I wonder what the kind of image of Britain abroad is and how that affects those kind of very British products. I think it's definitely a bit, maybe a bit too early to tell how that's going to be affected. But something that some of the companies said is, you know, our brands don't in any way show that we're British. You know, right. This, um, you know, they our brand. And that's really interesting. Yeah. So they talked about that. They yeah, talked yeah, they, about they, kind of saying, they, oh, OK, we're a bit like BP went from British Petroleum to BP to internationalize. It's the same kind of like we're not actually. Absolutely. Yeah. So they obviously are British companies, but they were specifically say, you know, in no way in our branding could you really you really tell that we're more British than any other company. Which would have been uh, the which, opposite a few well, years ago where yeah, it was like, you know, exactly. we're British and, and this and is... That's, that's not necessarily because there's definitely been a change, but it just means if there is a change in sentiment towards British products that, uh, you know, they feel like they're a bit better protected if people don't really associate it mm-hmm. with Britain. And certainly, I guess... Your products, which are more branded as, you know, this is British, so therefore it's high quality. You know, it still stands that you know, British products are usually high quality products and therefore people would want to have them if they're exported to their country. But there is definitely the potential for it to be a branding mm-hmm. issue. I like the idea that hedging your reputation post-Brexit is as important as hedging your currency. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I need to ask you a few irreverent questions because I get into terrible trouble if I don't and of course I want to ask you something if you hadn't gone into analysis and covered lots of interesting companies in the city what would be your dream career uh, well, I guess when I was growing up, and this is slightly random, I always wanted to be a professional cricketer, but sadly I didn't turn out to be quite good enough. Um, Your irreverent questions are not irreverent enough. I'm going to ask a question, a reverent question now. So, have you ever been at least tipsy 
when having to talk to the companies you cover? And have you ever at least been tipsy when writing a report on the companies you cover? Uh, s certainly not writing a report. <laughs> <laughs> I find it helps with writing. <laughs> um, officially, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, and in terms of talking to the companies, I guess, well, I mean, part of part of the job is, uh, you know, enjoying the drinks that these guys um, produce. So if it turns out that some of them get paired with a gin or with a vodka, then, you know, that's kind of, you know, it's all, all, part of the, all, all part of the job, really. You talk about how one of the growth areas is creating new ways to drink and new combinations of drinks. Mm. And I wonder where you think, see things going, what kind of weird and wonderful combinations you can imagine in the future, and, and also whether there have been any combinations that just haven't worked at all, where you've put your head in your hands and gone, why would anyone consider, I can't believe that I used to drink a white Russian. I mean, it's just the idea is just <laughs> so disgusting. You are certainly seeing, you know, I mean, there's lots of cocktail bars and, and stuff in London trying different things. And as long as you've got an open mind to the different flavors that you might try and not really knowing necessarily what you're ordering, then there aren't really things that are completely not working at the moment. Something that um, Fevertree talked about the seeing recently is that there's been a big growth in um, tequila being paired with tonic, which is not something I would have thought was mm. possible or, or sensible to try, but apparently it's very tasty. Okay. <laughs> I think we're going to have to let Ned go back to his desk and go back to eating pizza and drinking premium spirits, uh, which I have to say is a fabulous job, um, <laughs> and, um, and actually say goodbye to him. But thank you so much. How was your interview at Vinoteca? Was it good fun? Did you get a glass of wine? And what do they think about Brexit? It was good fun. Charlie talked a lot about Brexit. 70% of their staff are from the European Union, so clearly emotionally it's taken a toll and there's uncertainty from that point of view. But again, a reasonably upbeat view for the longer term. We have a business of five wine bar and restaurants. More or less 70% of the people that work for Vinoteca are from Europe. There was a lot of shock on the day. We didn't expect it. We didn't want it. I'll take an example. Our financial controller called Carolyn. She's French. She's lived in this country for 18 years. She's married to an English guy. They have a little boy. And she was genuinely shocked and upset. And I think that how she felt is a bit representative of how a lot of other people felt. She felt a little let down. She felt a bit alienated. She doesn't know what she's going to have to do in order to just remain how she is. Anything from the small amount of paperwork through to passports and work permits or you know or whatever does she still feel welcome here i think one of the immediate reactions was well a lot, you know everybody's voted for something which amounts to uh making non-british people have to prove their worth or was it an opportunity to get rid of a lot of them and seemingly to uh, to solve some of the the immigration issues if it were me i'd really want to know what i would have to do and what my chances were of staying and as a business owner with a lot of EU uh, employees, what do you need to know? What do you want to have clarified as quickly as possible? It would be very useful for whatever plan on immigration there's going to be to be made clear as quickly as possible. I'm not really thinking so much for us and any difficulty in recruiting people, although obviously if it's going to make that difficult, 
would be very, very difficult to recruit from people just from this country. I mean, unless things change dramatically very quickly, there just aren't enough people. Are there, there are just not enough people what, with the right backgrounds? What kind of people do you recruit and why can't you find born and bred English people yeah. to do those jobs? I mean, it, it, it all goes in, in waves. We've been going for 11 years now and I remember for the first few years there were very few British people that were looking for jobs, that were around, that were answering job ads. Things did change after that and we saw more British people building a career in the hospitality industry. The trend in the last couple of years has been there's been less of them. And who knows why? Maybe, again, it's less attractive as a career prospect, or maybe they're all working in other countries, or maybe there just really isn't enough of them so that when we look for positions, whether they be waiters or chefs or, or managers, a very small proportion of those who apply for the jobs are British. In a way, I feel that we're in a bit of a bubble in London, and Brexit showed that very dramatically and standing here in Chiswick in front of all these wines I feel like I'm in a bubble in a bubble <laughs> do you feel that way and could you imagine opening a place in Sheffield it's something that we thought about we're not planning to open a site outside of London um, immediately but it's something that we've thought about you know what we're standing in front of for me a lot of these wines are very accessible wines when there's more interest and when opinion shift about wine. I think that this is transferable. People will always want this type of thing here and I think that they do in other parts of the country. We sometimes underestimate how diverse those people are and they're always looking for something that's interesting and that has integrity and that is really good. So yeah, who knows? Sheffield, that's where I was born. So maybe that's, maybe that's next. <laughs> now walk me through some of these wines. Yes. Um, let's go over to your racks. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, some of them are really pretty expensive, I know. Yeah. I know I ordered my favorite American wine here, and I was really surprised that you had it. And then I felt very uh, intimidated about the fact that you were probably going to judge me by ordering it. <laughs> but it was Frog Sleep, which was one of the first wines I legally drank in the U.S. when I started working at 21. And, um, yeah. and I was really impressed that you had it. We don't have that many American wines. And you mentioned that some of these wines cost a bit more. But we also have a lot of wines that uh, are not too expensive. Do you think the price of wine is going to go up for you beyond the fact that obviously the pound has fallen vis-a-vis -vis the euro? Are you worried that fundamentally there'll be a shift uh, in terms of how much it costs to uh, import them? I'm a little worried about it. I'm trying not to think about it too, mu too much <laughs> at, at the moment. You know, it's part of this uncertainty that we talked about. So three things to worry about your employees, importing your employees, your wines, and your consumers. If you had to rank them, how they rank in terms of keeping you awake at night? It sounds extremely cheesy, but care very much about the consumer. What changes are going to happen, and they're going to happen everywhere, However it sounds, we're going to have to deal with what happens, whether that's prices going up. I'm sure that we can handle it in some way. It would be a terrible shame not to have access to the wines that we do and not to be able to source great wines that are actually really good value. You know, that's what we get up in the morning for. By the way, if there's something that you would like us to cover... If Me? No, not you. You mean that... The oh, listener that at home. So if you listening to this now feel that there's a subject you'd like us to cover or a career that you'd like to look into or even somebody whose job you envy and you'd like us to interview, why don't you write to me at mrsmoneypenny at ft.com. I really look forward to hearing from you. Oh, this is hilarious. James, would you All right. We call it backward spit. Um, it just means swallowing rather than spitting. Let me hear this. Hmm. 
That's a forward spit. But my favorite is a backward spit, which goes in in the same way. Ah, but doesn't appear anywhere, <laughs> at least not for a few hours anyway. I thought you were going to turn around and, no. and spit backwards into this little receptacle. I have it in, in 13 different uh, languages, okay, most, most on, of them European. Me. I can't give you all of them, but come on, I can do one can in German, in which is a ridiculous one, which I'll start with that, which is Die Proben finden Hintenstadt. Okay. Uh, uh, French? Crash à l'intérieur. Okay. I could do I can do Spanish and then Catalan. So Spanish would be par dentro and Catalan would be captains. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee only registered investment advisors in the US, Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.